Good morning. It's good to see you this morning. Would you take a moment to just turn someone around, turn to someone around you if you're comfortable doing that and say good morning to them, wishing them a Merry Christmas. <clears throat> if you're comfortable, you may touch them by shaking their hand. Okay, let's leave it at that, right? Yes? Ah, it's great to see you. Turn to the book of Luke, chapter 1. We will read the entire book of Luke today. No, we're all actually going to read the first chapter today, most of it anyway. So it's going to seem like that maybe for some of you. Say, Mark, I haven't read that much Bible in a long time. Good, then you're in the right place. You know, we are glad that you're here. Today is part three of our series, the Already But Not Yet. And so we're excited about going to the book of Luke. We'll be there uh, this week and next for our Christmas Sunday service, uh, next week, chapter 2, this week, chapter 1. Today we're going to talk about a word called certainty, that you may have certainty, and that's actually taken from uh, the, the book of Luke, chapter 1, and verse uh, 3 or 4 in a moment, but we'll talk about for that a while. Did you know that things do not always go the way you think they should go? I don't know if you know that or not, you know? I just want to share that with you, say, Mark, if that's the best you have, then, you know, let's go get donuts and coffee again and come back. Because, no, I know that, that things don't always go the way we think that they should. Things are not always as they seem either. I don't know if you've ever opened a gift on Christmas and um, somebody had borrowed a box from something else and so the box does not represent what's inside. You never, I don't know if you've ever done that. And so you open it and you think, oh, this is exciting that you bought me uh, an Apple computer. This is amazing, you know. And, and we're just like friends, but just you went and spent all this money and you open it and it's underwear, right? And you think, man, this is disappointing that I thought we were going to get a computer and I got underwear. Now, they're both essential, I guess you might say, in some ways. And, and so the thing is that sometimes things are not as they seem. Thus is written the book of Luke, and it's written to, by, to a man by the name of Theophilus, by Luke, because I think Theophilus has some questions, he has some uncertainty, because when he began to look at the things that God has done through history, and Luke has researched a lot of this, and he's going to bring this out to us this morning, that he began to look and said, you know, there had to be a better way. God bringing that of Christ into the world, God seeing the world in his sovereignty, yet he could have introduced Christ and he could have come in like this champion on a championship team and swept the playoffs and been done with all of this, annihilated all of his enemies. All the people would embrace him and welcomed him and worshiped him, as, especially as he reveals his messenger in the book of Luke. And that is, a what, that is exactly what a lot of people in Judaism at this time contextually thought that God should have done. And that's why they struggled with accepting Jesus and who he was as the Messiah. That when God shows up, he was going to overthrow all the oppression, that of, uh, that of Rome, and then he was going to rule as this glorious ruler in power in Jerusalem. And surely that's the way that God would save the broken world. The world is desperate for rescue. And then all of a sudden we get the book of Luke and we realize that the book of Luke is about life. It's about God's plan. And God's plan and my plan, they're not always the same. In type, many times they are different more than they are the same. And so Luke writes this to his friend Theophilus, who was in great need of reassurance and certainty within his life because he has some questions relating to why God does the things the way that he does and did the way the things that, that he did. He's a Gentile, but he lacks that word certainty. And 
He needs certainty in a world that is extremely uncertain. So we go to the book of Luke chapter 1 and verse 1, and we read, "...inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us." And what Luke is saying is this, hey, this is not a new story. No, most of you have heard this story. In fact, Theophilus, you have heard this story. What I love about him writing to this man is that, in essence, he's writing to all of us. It's a very personal word from God to every one of us in the room. And he says, it's not a new story. Excuse me, you have heard this before. It's a story that's been told many times, but yet there's something that's missing in your life concerning this old story, is exactly what he's saying, that you need something else concerning God's plan for man. And so he goes on to say in verse 2, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us, it seemed good for me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you. And what he's saying is this, I've gone through, I've done my research, I've done my due diligence, I've interviewed eyewitnesses. Historians tell us that he probably interviewed Mary, the mother of Christ, when she was about 70 years old. So these are eyewitness accounts of what took place, the angel visit and other things. And so he's saying to us, hey, I don't want you to just embrace the shadows of the season because the shadows are fine, but they're a reflection of the substance of the season. The substance of the season is Christ. So I want to give you some real substance. And so he addresses Theophilus, next is most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. The word certainty is important that we understand what it means there. Because how it's used here, it's the same word that we find in the book of Acts chapter 5, where he talks about a prison being locked down, secure. It is something that brings security within our life. It is something that is foundational, something that is sure. And what he's saying to Theophilus is this. It's wonderful for you to know all of these things. Absolutely great. There's nothing wrong with that. But there's something about surety that takes us beyond that. And certainty that takes us beyond that. Certainty is not that you may just know these things that you've been taught, but you know something about them, that they are locked down in your heart and your mind. They're unshakable. They're secure. They're the immovable reality of the things that have been taught to you. To have certainty is to have knowing that lasts. And I say that, and I define that as this, that it is having knowing that lasts far beyond the Advent calendar. It's far beyond the season, far beyond all the things that we celebrate during this time, for after the lights have been taken down, and say, Mark, don't say that because I already feel that oppression coming over me because you're talking about it's going to end at some point. Yeah, unless you're like some people, you leave it up all year. If you want to leave your house decorated and your lights on the outside and you trip all year, that's wonderful. That is absolutely wonderful. Just prepare yourself for all the comments, okay? But it's, it's absolutely fine if you want to do that. But I'm talking about the substance of the season, not the shadows. That is something that sticks with us past the calendar. And that is important. That's exactly what he's saying to to Theophilus. He says that we can know these things about God. And they're like a cloud in our mind. And when that wind of resistance comes, what happens to the cloud? It blows the cloud away and leaves us no substance. And so he's saying, hey, I want you to have certainty in these things so that the knowledge is like a mountain. It's like something that's immovable in your life. It's not that it's about you knowing doctrine, but it's about these things locked into your heart and into your mind. They're unchangeable and movable. Certainty in the middle of uncertainty. Man, that is exactly what we need. That he's writing this letter to Theophilus, but it's to you and I because we need to have certainty in very uncertain times. 
He knows exactly where we live. He knows exactly what we're thinking. He knows exactly what's going on in our homes. He knows what's going on in our job, our relationships. He knows us. So he says, hey, I want you to have some certainty in the things that you already know. And so we break it down, certainty in what? And so first is this, a couple of things. Three of them is this, the certainty we have in who God the Father is. We start reading at verse 5, and we're going to read a lot of scripture, so hang on. Verse 5 says this, In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in their years. And you think, wait a minute, we've heard this story before. Because we taught through the book of Genesis. Yeah, this is like Abraham and Sarah. Yeah, we've heard this before. I love it when God repeats himself because God reminds us that he functions outside of that of the law of the creative order. That those things don't bind God. God specializes in the impossible. Look at verse 8. Now, while he was serving as priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Now what God is doing, God is setting the stage for even a greater appearance of Gabriel the angel. And we know that is to Mary, but this is very powerful. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. For your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a child, and you shall call his name John. And we know that to be John the Baptist. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to their Lord to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, I love this, this is the conversation. If an angel shows up, you're going to have a conversation, right? Absolutely. I mean, you're going to savor the moment. So he says this to Gabriel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. I love this. Because Zechariah knows how it works in a marriage, doesn't he? He says, I'm an old man, but he doesn't say, and my wife is an old woman. He doesn't say that. Why? Because he wants to go home after his gig in the temple. Is exactly right. Yes. He doesn't want to be living over there at the church while she's at home because she won't let him come home. So, and my wife is advanced in years. Men, there's a great lesson. Let's pray and let's go home. Now, here's the thing. But is it okay to have that discussion with the Lord? Is it okay to have that discussion with the Lord? Is it okay to say, God, now here's the deal. All right, hang on. I want to remind you about the circumstances of my life, as if God doesn't know. But God is gracious, and he gives us that opportunity. Yes, and so, we, yeah, it's okay to have that conversation. Lord, I'm old. My wife is seasoned. That's what we call, like women that are a little older in age, they're seasoned. So I'm an old, like, I'm an old coot. She's seasoned. And so, and, and, and I just want to remind you of all of that, Lord, before you say anything else. Yes, but if you have that discussion with God, be prepared for God's perfect response. Verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. 
And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Yes. And, and so you think, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. He expressed himself to God and God makes him a mute that he can't speak. What is wrong with that? And, and how, what kind of God? Would, can I tell you, if you understand the nature and the character of God, which we are working on, all, we're working on that together in our journey uh, with Christ, then what we realize is this. I think what God is saying to Zechariah is this. Zechariah, I want you to take a moment and just stop talking and so you can be certain of my plan in your life. It's a thought that I want you to just take a moment. You've expressed your opinion. That's wonderful. Now for nine months, keep your mouth closed. You know, that's what he's saying, right? Because I want you to understand my purpose and my plan for your life. Verse 21, and the people were waiting for, for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay and in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them. And, I, you know, I, I love that because Luke is so specific in his writing that I can see Zachary comes out. He's got the, got the robe on, as we talked about, and we talked about through the book of Exodus. He's wearing the robe, the hat, and all those kinds of things. And he comes out uh, of the Holy of Holies, and there he is. And they say, so what's, what went on, Zach? What happened in there? Well, you've been in there a long time. Where have you been? And he's going... And he, he like, he's doing it like, there's an angel in there, you know. He got the halo around the head, and he spoke something to me. He's doing this like a baby, you know, kind of deal. And, and he's trying to make all these signs to them because he, he is now mute. Look at verse 23. And when his time of service had ended, he, he went to his home. And, and after these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, This Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. And we say, oh, that's a great story. The character of those stories of Zechariah and that of Elizabeth, those are the characters. But when you really read this at heart, what we realize is the main character of this story is God. It is God. It's his dominant, he is the dominant central character of this story. And so what Luke says is this, Theophilus, hey, here's your first lockdown, unshakable certainty that God is real, God is active, God is working, God is unstoppable, and God does have a plan. Understand that, that God has a plan for all of us, that he sends an angel, he strikes Zechariah, so he becomes a mute, he makes a barren woman conceive because with God, nothing is impossible. And what we see here is the person of God the Father. That we, God, the Godhead does just have these fatherly attributes, but there is God the Father in our Godhead. And what I realize about God the Father is this. He is infinitely powerful. That's what this teaches us. That he can make a barren woman in her seasoned years absolutely conceive and have a child. He is infinitely powerful, and he is also intensely personal, that he knows our heart, he knows our life, he understands our tears, he knows those things that we desire in life. And so that is the kind of Father God that we have this morning. And so what Luke says is, hey, I want you to have a certainty about this. Because there are going to be times when you call out to God and say, God, I don't understand your ways. I don't, I don't understand how you're working or if you're even working in my life or have you forgotten me? And so we look for the silver bullet to fix these things in our life in those times of fear and anxiety. And what it brings us back to is this certainty that he is infinitely powerful and that he is intensely personal in all of our lives. That certainty that God has a plan, that plan will come to pass. And so he says, Theophilus, I want you to have certainty, certainty in this because it's going to shape your life in those moments when you don't understand God. 
that he is, in, he is infinitely powerful. He is intensely personal within our lives. That is God the Father. And he said, okay, let's move on. Because I want you to have the certainty that you must have in who Jesus is, he says. So Theophilus, here's the second thing. The secure, solid, unshakable reality of Jesus in your life. Go to verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God. Oh, you've heard this story before. To the city of Galilee near Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. And, and I, I read that. And I thought, this is powerful. Because we find the word Lord, oh, it is used multiple times in chapters 1 and chapters 2. And it's, it's there for a reason. It's a message. We'll talk about that in a moment. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And here is where Theophilus begins to think, this is different. This is different. Because first of all, there has been recorded in history that of women that are seasoned in life, God coming to their husband and telling them that their wife is going to conceive. And there is history of that. He knows that. He mind goes back to Abraham and Sarah, Hannah and others. And so he goes back to that. But all of a sudden, this tells him something is different about this. Yes, because he says that this, is, this person's coming is going to be a king and his kingdom will last forever. And that just doesn't happen in that of the human world. And nothing will ever throw, overthrow that. So what he's saying to us and to Theophilus is this, that this is a universal kingdom, that it not only fulfills that, that promise to the Jews, but it also fulfills to all humankind. It is God sending Christ into the world as a redemption for mankind. This is not God raising up some ordinary man so that he will become some kind of Messiah king. That's not this at all. No, no. This is the story of the incarnation. This is the story of God coming wrapped in flesh. Remember last week, if you were here, if you braved the storm for the one service that we had last week, then, then we talked about the meaning of incarnation, and it's, it's a Latin word, and it actually means meat is what it means. It comes from the word carne, and it means meat. It means that God came wrapped in meat. I love that, don't you? They should make Christmas cards like that. The manger, you, all those kinds of things. You know, Merry Christmas on the front. You open it. God came wrapped in meat. I love that. And some of you think, oh, it's like wrapped in bacon. Is that what you mean kind of deal? No, he was Jewish, so he would not have had that. Absolutely not. No, that wouldn't have worked for him. No, because it's pork. Yes, yes. And so, and it, so Theophilus thinks, oh, this is something different. You talked about Zechariah and Elizabeth, but this is something totally different. Verse 34, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. That, that here's the difference between us and this birth. We're born of the flesh, then we're reborn of the Spirit. Absolutely, that, that is our coming to Christ experience, our, our being saved. 
But Jesus was not born of the union of a man and a woman. No, this is a supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. He gets his human nature from Mary. He gets his divine nature from that of the Holy Spirit united in one person. Verse 36, And behold, your relative Elizabeth is in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is, or, or this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Wow. Underline that. Yes, highlight it. That is a powerful word for you and I this morning. For nothing will be impossible with God. That is what he's getting to. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And so what we see here very quickly is this. We see God the Father sending God the Son. It's powerful. And then we see God the Son being conceived by Mary, by God the Holy Spirit. It's what? C.S. Lewis, if we can quote C.S. Lewis, what would we say? I'm not sure, you know. It's what C.S. Lewis calls the dance of the Godhead. That's exactly what this is. It's the incarnation. It's God of the Bible revealing an attribute of the Godhead. It's the God of initiation. It's God that initiates in our life. He is the initiator. It's God that initiates within our lives. It's the triune Godhead dancing for the salvation of mankind. It's how God responds to our sin. It's how God responds to our brokenness. That God leans into us. That God does not lean away or back from us, but God leans into us in the mess and in the moment of our lives. God doesn't look down at us and say, man, I don't want to get my hands dirty with you. No, absolutely not. I don't want to get into you. No, God says, hey, I'm leaning into you. I'm getting into your mess. I am putting myself into your very life. I am your rescuer. I'm your savior, and I'm your salvation. It's the Godhead dancing for the salvation of mankind. Listen, because here is the thing. Like I said before, we have seen God open barren wombs before, Sarah, and that of Hannah and others. But this is miraculous. You know why this is miraculous? Because those other women, they had a husband. So the possibility was always there. But Mary is a virgin. It takes two, a man and a wife. Do I need to explain anymore? You know? No. So this is what makes it different. With Zechariah and Elizabeth, I'm, I'm not taking value away from that. But I think this is part of the certainty and the substance of what we talk about this morning. That this, is, this is not even in the same category. Because this is the Holy Spirit coming upon the Virgin Mary and her conceiving. That of carrying the God-man, fully God and fully man receiving his humanity from Mary, his mother, his, his divinity from that of the Holy Spirit is such a powerful concept for us to understand. And then he caps all this off in verse 37, 37, but he says, for nothing will be impossible with God. That God, understand this, God made the rules of, God made the rules of the creative order, but God does not have to live by those rules. Understand that. God is not confined, confined by the rules that he created in, in, the, in the creative order. He is not. So God does the impossible. Understand that. God does things that are absolutely impossible as it relates to the rule of the creative order. He does. Why? Because he is the sovereign king. He is the Lord. He is over all earthly and heavenly powers. How vast is our God? Job says this, that the universe that you and I only see the tip of, that's the hem of his garment. 
That is the very hem of his garment. That's how vast our God is this morning. That's how immense he is that we only maybe even see the backyard of God. We, we see nothing else. And so this phrase was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, is that God initiates toward you and I. Even when we are rebellious, God initiates toward us. He pushes out impossibilities. He pushes them out. So how many times have we had the thought? Not necessarily that we have said it, but maybe you have. But how many times have we had the thought? Well, God really can't help me in my situation. Yeah. But this is really far out of his, his league, you know, kind of deal. We may not say that, but we think that and we act that way at some times. We do. That, that this relationship is too far gone or this situation just can't work itself out. And what we realize is that God specializes in the impossible. He does. Look at verse 39. In these days, that there are, there, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town of Judea. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud voice, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why... Is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? Th- those are powerful words, aren't they? Because here is the thing that the Holy Spirit comes upon Elizabeth and the baby begins to leap and she begins to proclaim through the power of the Holy Spirit who Mary is carrying. For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy and blessed is she who, who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And that word Lord, oh, it's, it's mentioned so many times in chapter 1 and chapter 2. It, it uses terms like the Lord's Christ. Christ is the Lord. It speaks of that of the God who spoke to Gabriel as being the Lord. It speaks of the baby in Mary's womb as being the Lord. It speaks of the deity of Christ, of the salvic work of God in Christ. He's the Savior of the world. He's the King of Lord. King of all, king and Lord over all. And in that reign as being king over all, that what we have to frame this with correctly is this thought and this understanding that he is not a tyrant king. That he is not a tyrant king. Understand that. Because it's easy for us to go that way. And so he says to Theophilus, he says, Theophilus, get this in your mind, okay? That this can't be a cloud, that when the wind of resistance and trouble blows in your life, that it sometimes leaves you and dissipates, and so it leaves you flat, and it leaves you without any structure, any place to land in your life. Get this like a mountain within your life that's unchangeable, immovable, and secure, that Christ is Lord. He is the King over all earthly powers. He is the unique Son of God, different in our sonship, because that of we have been born by the Spirit, adopted into Him, but very different. But He's the Lord, loving Savior of the world. And I thought that He is Lord and He is King. But sometimes we struggle with that. Ah, we, it, it's fine. We, we buy into the part about being Savior. He came. We know the, the story of Advent. He came. He lived as a, a, a man. He 
dies on the cross, he goes to a grave, he's resurrected on the third day, he ascends to the Father, that he is our Savior. But this King and Lord thing, oh, it's something that we struggle with sometimes. And you think, well, Mark, you're talking to like just the baby Christians that are here this morning, because those are the ones that really struggle with this thing about him being King of their life and Lord of their life. But now I want to tell you, that's not true, because we have this thought at times, even after you walk with God for quite a while, that you struggle with some areas of submission within your life. You struggle with really making him king and lord over these things. We don't trust him at times. You say, Mark, how can you say that? Because if we really did trust him, that we would give those things to him. So we struggle in those areas of trust in making him king and lord of our life. And so we'll say, oh, he's my savior. But we have this strong, strange sense that we feel sometimes that he can be our savior with no submission of being our king. I want to tell you something. As much as I love you, you know I love you is this. That's not biblical. That is not biblical. You, you need to wrap your mind around that, yes. And maybe you see the Lord as some type of fire insurance in your life, you know, that maybe at some point in your life you heard a sermon that said you were going to go to hell, so you see God as a way to escape that within your life. You're baptized as a child, but you really didn't have the certainty of what that meant in your heart. And, and, and this is not about having perfect obedience because we're all imperfect in this room, but it's having a desire to z- desire. It's having a desire to simply submit areas of your life to Christ for him to be king and Lord over your life. It's about you and I removing ourselves from the throne of our life and putting Christ there where he belongs. That's where we struggle. The Savior part, we can buy. Yes, we have that down. But the King and the Lord thing, that's what we really struggle with. Yes. And then some of you, you know, some of you see him as King and Lord, but but yet you're somewhat fearful of him because you're afraid how he reacts to your sin, reacts to your rebellion, reacts to your doubt, reacts to your fear. You're not sure. So you try to kind of fake it before him sometimes. And, And understand this, that he is a loving and tender sovereign. He is. He is sovereign God. He loves you. So what do you do with them? What do you do with Jesus being king and Lord? What do you do with that? Can I quote C.S. Lewis one more time for you? Just one more time this morning, I promise. That is it, I think. C.S. Lewis said this, and I, I found this quote. Jesus' claims make him either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. Can I read that one more time to you? Jesus' claims Make him either a liar, a lunatic, or the Lord. There's more, so hang on. But he has to be one of those. You can't remain indifferent to that claim. So here's what he's saying. What are you doing with him? What are you doing with him? Because in reality, he's either to you a liar, or he's a lunatic, or he's the Lord. That, that is wild, isn't it? Now, don't blame me. Blame C.S. Lewis. He's dead. Long time, okay? So you just, you just got to, I don't know what you have to do with that. Pray through it or whatever you can. But I thought, wow, that brings it down to where we live. At some point in our lives today, we have to do something with his kingship and lordship in our lives. That is Jesus. And so as Theophilus, get a certainty about this in your life. And then the third thing is this. The last thing is, is the certainty that we find in faith. He says, Theophilus, you, you have to, you, you've seen the works of, Christ, uh, of God in history. I, I have researched all this. I told you the story. Now do something within your life. 
Do something within your life. So it's verse 46. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord. This is Mary's song. This is the Magnificent. This is Mary's song. So she sings this. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my soul rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. She said, for he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And I read this. And I thought, but there's a difference here. There's a notable difference in Zechariah and that of Mary. In their response, they both have an angel visit. In fact, it's the same angel. It's Gabriel. But there's a difference between Zechariah's response and Mary's response. Because Zechariah responds with a question. Get this. He responds with a question. Mary responds with submission. But God fulfills both promises made to them. I think that is an amazing picture of the grace of God within our lives. That this is not about, as we said through the book of James, perfection, but progress within our lives. Understand, this is a desire to desire. This isn't about always getting it right. No, God even works past those things within our life. Now, it's not a loophole. So some of you are sitting there already thinking because I know how deviant some of you are, right? I love you, but I know we're all human, right? So you're thinking, oh, so no matter whether I believe or whether I'm not or whether I'm obedient or whether I'm disobedient or what, it's all going to turn out fine in the end. It all comes out in the wash. That's where that came from. That's not what I'm saying. No. But I think what this does bring us back to is this human element in our times of, of trouble in those times when we don't have the answers to our life. It's that human element, but you can't take away what Elizabeth says to Mary. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. You can't take that away. But what I know about my humanity and yours, and this is where grace comes in our lives. This is the beauty of grace. That there, there's that 90% of my life that I trust with God. You know, there's that 90% that, that maybe somebody says, oh, what are you going to do about that? Well, I'm going to trust God with that. You know, I believe God, God, and I believe all these things. I have certainty in God in these, li- in these areas of my life. I'm not worried about that. But what about the 10% of my life that I'm worried about loosening up on? What about that? What about that? Yeah. Okay, Lord, I trust you. In and, and I, I believe you, but I can look back and see your faithfulness in my life. But for some reason, this area of my life, I'm struggling to trust you in. I'm starting to say, man, I would, <clears throat> I'm not going to let God see me sweat. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to show my, my cards, so to speak, to God because here's the thing, I don't want to be a mute for nine months. You know, I'm not going to be open and honest with God about that. And, and to maybe somebody around you say, dude, I wish you would keep your mouth closed for a little while anyway, you know. But, but I'm not going to do that, so I'm going to fake it to make it. And how many times we come to God and we're faking it to make it before God? Oh, my God, I'm, a, I'm this faith powerhouse. And, and, man, I've got it all together. And I, I, I'm going to believe for things. And, and I, there's no doubt in my life. You know what? In, in reality... In our humanity, there are areas in your life this morning that you're struggling with trusting God with. Let's be honest. There are areas. It reminds me of a story I love in the book of Mark chapter 9. It's about a, a man who has a son and, and his son is demonically pres- possessed. And, 
And so the demons will overtake this child, and when he walks by a fire, they'll cast him in the fire, and the father has to pull him out because they're trying to take his life. And so he goes to the disciples as he should, and the disciples, they can't cast out the demons. You know, they're just perplexed as to what to do. And Jesus shows up, and he steps on, you know, to the stage, and he is the rescuer, absolutely. And, and all demons are subject to him, and, and everything in life and all the creative order is subject to him because he is God in flesh and so the father in desperation, because he doesn't know what to do, he says to Jesus, can you help me? Can you do something to help me? And Jesus looks at him and he responds to him. And he says this, if you can believe all things are possible. You've heard that text probably. If you can believe all things are possible. And you know what the father does? He stands up and says, oh, I have always believed, Father. I've, Lord, I've always believed in you. I've always trusted. That's not what he does. He's honest. He is absolutely honest with God. And he says that immediately the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Here's what he's saying. Jesus, I know you're good and I know you're righteous. I know you love me, you'll never leave me. I know that you are for me and that you are not against me. But help me because part of me is wavering. Because none of this makes any sense and I'm afraid. Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I, I, I learned something years ago that really helped me theologically in some areas that I was struggling in. And when, what I learned years ago was this, was this fact about my faith, and that is it's not my faith that moves mountains, but it's God that moves mountains. So that I don't always have to get it right. I don't always have to have the exact words no. But there are times when I come to God and I say, God, I believe, but help me in my unbelief. I believe who you are. There's a certainty in my life of who you are, but I'm struggling in this area of my life to trust you here. And so what we understand is the certainty of the incarnation anchors us regardless of our circumstances in life. Because the theme of the Bible is not that the, the world is not a messy place. But the theme of the Bible is that God is at work in the mess of our lives. God is at work in the mess of our lives. God works in our certainty, yes. But God also works in our uncertainty at times. Lord, help me in my unbelief. So what are you struggling with to trust God with? Can you imagine Mary? Put yourself in Mary's place. Instead of thinking, hmm, I don't want to do that. Nope, absolutely not. She's somewhere between 12 and 14 years old. A peasant girl who is betrothed to a man engaged, for a lack of better terms, to be married. A virgin, she's never known a man sexually. Yet she finds herself carrying a child. And she's never known a man. Imagine, well, don't imagine this, but going home and explaining that to your parents, right? Yeah. Because no one ever got pregnant accidentally, so that doesn't work, right? No. So, can you imagine the weight, the, the heaviness? It says she sings this song and she sings it with joy. She rejoices in the Lord. Absolutely. 
but there is this human side. Listen, there has to be a human side to Mary. If not, Jesus would have never understood our humanity. So there has to be a human side to her. Don't worship her. Hold her in high esteem, absolutely. But she is 100% human. Carrying a child who is 100% God, 100% man. Wrap your mind around that. And so they had to be those moments in the night when she's alone where she's wondering, how will this all play out? How will this all end? There had to be those conversations. And so what certainty brings, it brings that foundation in the middle of the uncertainty of our lives. Lord, help me in my unbelief. I know who you are. But right now I'm struggling with this issue of mine. And so she ends by saying this, verse 50. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. That he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their throne and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. He's saying, Theophilus, listen. Put your ears on for a moment. Because Mary is singing you a song. As she sings a song for all of us in this room. To be humbled under the might of God. And then to be humbled under the mercy of God. That God has acted and God has spoken. And you can trust Him. To be certain, to have this rock solid certainty in who He is. That you trust Him. That He is God. That He is God-man, fully incarnate. He is Christ. That through that, forgiveness is here. Redemption is here. Peace is here for us. Hope is here. Healing is here for our lives. From a God who knows us and loves us to the extent that we can be open and transparent with Him about who we are. So what areas are you trusting and what areas are you not? Because he loves you regardless. He loves you this morning. Would you bow your heads for a moment? Father, as you have spoken to us from your word, from your servant Luke, from this amazing writing, Father, we thank you that you have given us these words to encourage us, to bring us to a place of trust in you, to bring us to a place of certainty in who you are. But when we are certain in who you are, there are still moments that we have uncertainty in, in that of how you are working and what you are doing in our lives and even where you are at times. We still have that. And Father, in those moments, <clears throat> in those moments that you don't resist us and you don't lean out from us, but you lean into us. 
you lean into us. And so, Lord, in this moment where maybe some of us are resistant or hesitant to come to you because we're not sure of your response to us, that God, may we be certain, may there be a certainty in our lives that you're leaning into us this morning and that you are worthy of our trust, that you are worthy of our trust. So, Lord, we trust you. We trust you, Father God. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed for a moment, and this is between you and the Lord. I'm just going to ask you for a moment of real honesty with God and say, Mark, there, there, are, there are places or an area in my life that I am struggling to trust God with. And I don't know what that is. And, and I could go through a long list of maybe assumptions, but I'm not going to do that. But there are areas in your life that you are struggling to trust God with. And so maybe this is a moment that you say, but, but I am certain in who God is and I'm certain that God is working in my life and I hang on to that so I will not judge God by the circumstances of my life, but I'm going to trust Him. So if you're here and you say, Mark, there are areas in my life that I'm really struggling to trust Him in, then just push your hand up and say, that's me. I'm honest. I'm open with the Lord. And today I trust Him in this area. And I make this step by raising my hand in faith that I have a, a Father God who initiates toward me. That I have a Savior in Jesus Christ who leans into me in that moment of my life. And in my faith, even though there are times that I waver and I doubt and I struggle with fear in my life, that God does not reject me. Oh, God may discipline me in order for me to be matured in my life, but God never rejects me. And so I trust Him. I trust Him. Father, we trust You today. We trust You with this area of our lives. We surrender that to You, Lord. We give You thanks for You are amazing and for Your certainty that You give us in our lives. In your name.